Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 15. Filthy Henry moved Shelley to the cleanest of Cahill's beds with some assistance from Drew the Druid. Picking which bed was the least dirty felt like it had similarities to selecting your deck chair on the Titanic. As they carefully placed her on top of the duvet, the fairy detective cast a little magic around the bed. Law her glan, Filthy Henry said. From his fingertips, little white spheres of magical light formed and dropped to the ground. They rolled along the floor until the bed was outlined by them, like a tiny airport landing strip at night. Once in place, each bead shot a beam of light up towards the ceiling. Then, in one synchronised act, they all popped and the light left the room. What was that pigeon Irish about? Drew asked. Just moved around some of the dirt so the bed area is as clean as possible, Filthy Henry said. You'd be surprised how many spells of poor grammar. How's that tea coming? Drew ran out of the room. Filthy Henry heard him running down the stairs into the kitchen and back up again. When the druid returned, he held a large mug in his hand and was out of breath. If that tired you out, then it might be time to consider getting more exercise, Filthy Henry said, taking the mug from Drew. He could tell the druid wanted to say something witty, but the lack of breath made smart remarks a luxury Drew could not enjoy at that moment. Instead, he went and sat down on a rickety wooden chair in the corner of the room. Filthy Henry carried the mug over to the bed and held it close to Shelley's face. With slow, deliberate waves of his hand, the fairy detective wafted the steam in her direction. It's true, isn't it? Drew said, panting. What? You managed to get a wish from a leprechaun, and you used it on her. Shut up now, Filthy Henry snarled, glaring at the druid. Drew made a contrite face and held up his hands, shrugging. I'm not blaming you, he said. But you can't have something like that happen and expect it to stay hidden forever. At some point, all secrets come out. No, they don't, Filthy Henry said. He waved the mug of floating green leaves and stems beneath Shelley's nose to ensure the maximum amount of vapour was inhaled. I have so many secrets they've started to keep secrets themselves these days. Gone off and had little baby secrets, so they have. Like what? You're meant to act like an enforcer of the magical world to keep it hidden from mortals. Yet you spend most of your time showing off. That's some dreadful secret-keeping filthy. Well, Henry isn't my surname, the fairy detective said. So there's one secret I've got in the go right now. Drew looked puzzled. Wait, what do you mean? On the bed, Shelley began to stir. She groaned a little, her eyelids fluttering slightly. I think it's working, Filthy Henry said. The druid came over and stood on the opposite side of the bed, lightly resting his hand on Shelley's arm. Filthy Henry was not completely sure if that was the best course of action for Drew to take. When Shelley had first met the bald man, she punched him. Chances were if she came around and saw him holding her hand while she lay in bed, a punch would be thrown in the druid's general direction. You spoke the farmer who currently has the bull, Filthy Henry asked. Before this little mishap. The druid nodded once, his cheeks going slightly red. 
Yeah, I think you'd get on well with him. He's gruff. Bit of a sarcastic muppet. Nothing to really like about him. Closed the door on us basically as soon as we started talking. I take it your deal's off. You are correct. The deal is definitely off. I'm never going to clear that tab in your store. But you at least warned Murphy, right? Again, he waved the mug closer to Shelley's nostrils. If he's watching out for anything happening with the bull, it means we have one less job to do on our end. Oh, I think Maeve's men already approached him and got shown the door as well, Drew said. Plus, it looked like he has some super high-tech security system in his cattle shed. I doubt anything would be getting in there without him knowing. The fairy detective nodded his head slowly. This was good information to have. If Farmer Murphy was at least looking after the bull, then all they really had to focus on was getting Cahill ready for the fight. He held the mug directly under Shelley's nose and gently blew so that the steam and vapours headed directly for her. Ah! Shelley said, waking fully and staring at Drew. She swung with her left fist and punched his arm away. Drew spun on the spot before collapsing to the floor. You pair really are jerks, he said from his forlorn position on the ground. What happened? Shelley asked Filthy Henry. Lies are bad. Every child is taught this growing up. If you tell a lie, it makes your grandmother cry. This little pearl of knowledge, passed from parent to child, is, in essence, a lie itself. A lie that attributes grandmothers with magical abilities to detect lies, and weep as a result. Not to mention that parents clearly don't care about making their own grandmothers cry, if they're willing to tell such out-and-out fibs. But the point has a kernel of logic to it. If you go through life not lying, people will respect what you say more. Filthy Henry, on the other hand, had always figured lying has its place in the world. You didn't have to go around telling big huge lies that spawned little lies of their own, once released into the wild. Instead, your lies could be controlled, crafted, tiny figments of actual events that never stood a chance of causing more trouble further down the road. Lies which, at the end of the day, made the truth you were only partially telling easier to bear. The fairy detective had lied a lot in his eight decades alive. So much so that he had become pretty good at making lies up on the spot. With Shelley, he had lied about her resurrection, telling her that she had merely been knocked out during an epic battle on Grafton Street, instead of outright killed. Shelley carried on about her business none the wiser, meaning the lie had served its purpose and then some. The purpose being, of course, for Filthy Henry to avoid an uncomfortable conversation with Shelley about how the afterlife had not exactly panned out the way it was described in the books. Now he knew it was time to spin another lie, which was dangerous. This meant that the initial lie about Shelley's untimely death had been around long enough to need some backup. A support lie. A little bit more bending of the truth so that she never questioned things. None of which sat well with Filthy Henry. He had no reason to dislike lying. It was the main trick in his repertoire used for solving most cases after all. The problem was that the fairy detective now found himself lying to prevent another person becoming upset by the truth. For years he had happily gone about his business without an investigative partner. Now he was concocting lies to prevent one being hurt. If Bunty Dooley ever heard about it, then there would be no end of insults from the sea. Or worse. Thinking about Bunty made the fairy detective reach down and touch the spell she had placed on his forearm. 
Spells were the magical equivalent of truth serum, forcing the bearer to tell the truth or endure physical discomfort. Depending on how Bunty had cast it, the spell could be very bearable with the first lie, or outright painful. Either way, Filthy Henry knew all he would have to do was ignore the pain until after the case, then work on a way to remove the spell from himself. An easy and straightforward plan with no part that could go horribly wrong. He took a deep breath and crafted the lie. You know those uh, metal bands that they wind around the end of hurley sticks to keep the head together? Shelley nodded, shifting her body to get more comfortable in the bed. Well, turns out there was a loose wire from a security camera up on the shelf, attached to one of those bands. You got a serious shock when you picked it up. Lucky it only knocked you to the ground, really. Could have been a lot worse. Bunty's spell kicked in. Apparently it had enough awareness to let him get the complete lie out before activating. A tingling sensation shot up Filthy Henry's arm, like somebody sticking a thousand hot needles into his skin. He clenched his jaw tightly and took slow breaths through the pain, keeping his eyes open so that Shelley did not notice something was wrong. It was a bearable sort of anguish, but only for a few days. Sort of like having a migraine that could not be shifted. The fairy detective started to think about any magic he knew, which would allow him to suppress the pain until they returned to Dublin. At least back in the city, he would be able to focus on magically removing Bunty's spell without the inconvenient requirement of telling the truth. Although chances were fairly high that Bunty had put some countermeasures in place to stop him if he tried to use magic to help with the pain. Maeve turned at the sound of the door to the hovel opening. Noel and Lauren stepped inside. Neither one appeared to be particularly happy. But then it was hard to expect anyone would enjoy returning to such a run-down shack. Noel trudged over to his spot, dropped down onto his seat, closed his eyes and appeared to fall asleep. True was already asleep on the tree-stump seat beside him, leaning up against the wall. The crone closed the door behind her and started to shuffle towards her little stool by the cauldron. The fact that neither of them had deemed it important to speak to Maeve was highly irritating. Queen should be given reports without having to chase after them. She waited for the crone to sit down before staring meaningfully at her. Well, Maeve demanded. Well, what? Lauren said, looking into her bubbling cauldron. Did you kill the girl? The crone shook her head. Are you familiar with the game of chess, Maeve? She asked. Maeve rolled her eyes. Ally had often spoke to her about board games during their younger years. How the game of Bond Dove could be used to teach a man things such as tactics. About methods to allow a smaller force beat a much larger one. She had never enjoyed the conversations because they always seemed childish. In Maeve's view, a man should learn about battle and strategy by being involved in actual combat. What better incentive to improve your fighting skills than the fear of death? In the game of war, you either died or made very sure that you would learn more about combat than your opponent. From the sounds of it, chess was going to be another game that Maeve would have very little interest in. No, but please, waste my time by telling me about it. In chess there is a piece called a queen. It's considered by some to be the most powerful piece on the board, Crone said. Maeve straightened up in her seat. Maybe chess was something that a queen could get interested in after all. Go on. 
But as a player gains experience, they learn that sometimes a pawn, a lowly foot soldier piece placed in the right position on the board, can be more powerful than a dozen queens. I'm sure you have a point in here somewhere, Maeve said. Lauren nodded. Indeed I do. Killing the champion's girlfriend would have done nothing. If anything, there would have been a greater risk that this act could have caused him to purposely seek out revenge. It could have been the catalyst event that ensured your defeat. So I went with a much more subtle approach. Which was? Love, the crone said with a smile. Maeve knew that she was in a new time, where things did not exactly work in the same way they had back in her day. But it was puzzling to see how love could have been a more useful tool than the act of murder. Surely murder would have been straightforward. Girl alive, kill her. Girl alive, no more. Introducing love into the equation made it seem a much more complicated solution to a very simple problem. I'm not sure I follow you. How is love better than death? Love, Lauren said, is chaos. You cannot control who you fall in love with, or even if they love you back. So if you cause someone to fall madly in love, it can sow anarchy, much more than any death would. Plus, there is no chance of an outside force getting involved in a simple love spell to make sure we're playing by the rules. Well, there could be, but I doubt they'll notice a subtle spell. It seemed like an overly complicated solution to a fairly annoying problem. Why people thought for themselves when Maeve asked them to do something seemed to be the biggest mystery of her life. At least when she had the two bulls, Maeve would no longer have to rely on others to complete tasks for her. If somebody was in the way, the queen would click her fingers and simply remove them from the world, then bring them back to get rid of them all over again. She had already started mentally making a list of people she would remove from the world, just to pass the time. Cahill wiped the kitchen chair with a tea towel, then held the back of the seat so Alice could sit down. He gently moved her hand away from the spot on her neck where she had been bitten and examined the skin. There was no squashed up insect to be seen anywhere. Meaning it had either gotten away after biting her or the body was elsewhere to be found. Just below the hairline, a little red bump had formed, almost like a pimple. This was presumably what Alice had felt earlier. Do you see anything? She asked him. I'm not sure. There's a little red bump, but it could be the bite, I suppose. Alice reached up and moved his hand away from the area. Thanks. So what's the deal with the silver hurley stick anyway? It's been in the bar for bloody years. Nobody even knew where it came from. Everybody just thought it was a trophy or something. One that had been donated to the various bits of crap on the shelves. Namrab used to joke that maybe it was Ku Cullen's hurley. Namrab, Carl said. Who the heck is that? Alice shook her head, rubbing the back of her neck. You know, for somebody who drinks in O'Hare's so regularly, You'd think you would have learned the name of the barman. Cahill thought about this little nugget of information. He could not recall ever asking for the barman's name. At least not in a sober frame of mind. Hang on. Namrab is just barman backwards. Yeah, you could say he was destined for the job. She laughed at that. Her words, however, struck a chord with Cahill, somewhere in the back of his mind. He walked over to the stick and looked at it. Aside from being made out of silver, 
It was identical to any normal wooden hurley stick that would be used to play games. The handle was long and slender, the head like a flattened potato. There was nothing fantastical about the stick worth mentioning. Cottle had seen enough movies in his time to know that magical weapons, swords and axes, usually had an otherworldly glow about them, or a hum that the rightful owner could hear. Something to truly signify that great power was stored within. This hurdy stick looked like nothing more than a lovely ornament. He gingerly reached out towards the handle, expecting at any moment for a surge of energy to flow through the metal and send him flying across the room like it had with Shelley. As Cahill's fingers touched the cold surface of the stick, a vast and great amount of nothing happened. He took a firm grip of the handle and hefted the hurley above his head. Still nothing happened. I knew this was all some sort of joke, he said, half to himself. What are you playing at? Alice asked, holding her head in her hands and leaning down over the kitchen table. Oh, I really don't feel so great. Cahill twirled the hurley around in his hand a few times then brought it up high over his head, pointing it towards the ceiling. There was no discernible change at all. He wasn't entirely sure what he had expected to happen. In the movies, when the hero picked up the magic sword, there was a lot of lightning, a cloud of smoke, and a miraculous transformation occurred. If this stick turned out to be nothing more than a metal hurley stick, then there was no way a battle was going to go in Cahill's favour. The two men that had been with the crone McGarry and the mad woman gave the impression that they knew how to handle themselves in a fight. In fact, the large one looked like he could have handled himself in several fights at the same time, while Filthy Henry's ace up his sleeve had been Cahill going into combat with a silver hurley stick. Not exactly a plan that seemed to guarantee victory. Cahill looked at the hurley stick and wondered how much somebody would pay for it. At least then there would be a magic trick occurring. Money being turned into beer and whiskey. Oh, my head feels funny, Alice said in a slightly sing-song voice. Cahill lowered the hurley stick and looked over at her. She had folded her arms on the kitchen table and was resting her head on top of them. From out in the hallway came the sound of footsteps walking down the stairs. A minute later, Filthy Henry strolled into the living room. Is there anything to eat around here? he asked Cahill. I'm after cleaning up your guest room a little, and I'm starving. Without waiting for an answer, the fairy detective carried on walking towards the kitchen, searching in the cupboards for something to eat. You've got a full-on Mother Hubbard situation here, he said. I don't get you, Carl said. The cupboards are bare. From the table, Alice started to laugh. That's funny, she said, slowly bringing her head up. You're a funny guy. A bit of a jerk, but a funny guy. Filthy Henry leaned back looked over at her for a second, then moved on to the next press in his search for food. Cottle went over and watched, wanting to make sure his careful ordering system of random chaos was not disturbed. Can't you just magic up some food or something? The fairy detective shook his head. Wouldn't be any use to me. I need food that isn't conjured. Helps me maintain my magic. What's the deal with the dopey one? She got bit by something outside. She came back to have a look at the bite. The sound of a chair being pushed across the floor drew their attention. Alice had stood up, slightly shaky, and started to walk towards them. It was a strange sort of walk, one that Cahill had never seen before in his life. It seemed to be a mix of sultry and drunk, 
with an added dash of funny for good measure. As Alice made her way over to them both, she seemed inclined to touch everything within arm's reach, running her fingers across them in a drunkenly alluring manner. Cahill knew that out in the world there were men who found all manner of things strangely arousing. Watching a girl who had gone from sober to seemingly drunk run her fingers along the back of a dirty chair was not one thing Cahill thought would be on the list. Are you okay? Filthy Henry asked Alice. Oh, I'm fine, she said, smiling. And you're fine as well, aren't you? You know you are. You wouldn't walk around like that if you didn't. Filthy Henry looked at Cahill. Did you have a drink hidden outside the house or something? A bottle she was able to use before my spell changed it on you. What's got into her? Cahill shrugged his shoulders. Beats me. She was fine outside. She was leaving and everything. Alice stopped beside the kitchen counter and rested her hands on the edge. She leaned forward, her eyes focused on Filthy Henry. The fairy detective slowly closed the cupboard doors and frowned. So you're one, the girl upstairs. Is there anything special between the two of you? Alice asked. No, Filthy Henry said. We're just mates, nothing more. Well, isn't that lucky for me, Alice said, giving him a cheeky wink. Cahill felt like he had just been hit by a lorry, twice. Outside, there had been a moment, a spark of hope that something might happen between himself and Alice. Then she locks eyes on the sarcastic Dubliner, and suddenly everything changes. The more interesting man in the immediate vicinity shows up, and all the other suitors are tossed aside like yesterday's newspaper. There was a profound sense of deja vu to the entire thing. Something had started to go right for him, and the universe realigned itself so that he could be thrown right back to the bottom of the pile. Tightening his grip on the hurley stick, Cahill considered smacking Filthy Henry on the back of the head, maybe multiple times, to erase any rival for Alice's affections. Oh, screw the pair of you, Cahill shouted, storming out of the house. Filthy Henry Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it. <laughs>